So Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear this very familiar story and know how we can apply it to our lives this week. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good to see all of you here. I want to welcome those of you who are also watching this on the podcast. A retired couple in our church told me about a time recently when they were skiing, and they're sort of intermediate blue trail kinds of skiers, and they decided, though, to go up on a new chairlift because the view was supposed to be great up there, and there are plenty of blue trails on the way down. You know where this is going to go. In fact, the view on the top was so amazing that the, the wife even started to sing a hymn in in praise of God, but then on the way down, she took a wrong turn, ended up on one of those steep, double black diamond cliffs, straight down sort of deal, so steep that the snow on it, she said, had been blown there by the wind, couldn't fall on it naturally. Further down, there was this big boulder field, above her was a cliff, and scattered all over the trail were all these people laying flat on their backs, which alarmed her. Although she said, I did notice that they weren't dead, so comforting. So she was laying there on her side about a 70 degree angle and she said, Lord, just a few minutes ago I was praising you and now it looks like I'm going to be with you in a minute. So would you please help? Right then she heard this voice say, are you okay? Which seems sort of like an obvious answer, but nice of him to ask. And she looked and there were two men and they said, we're going to get you off this mountain. And she said, how? And they said, you're going to ski off. And she said, I am. So one skied above her, one skied below her, and eventually she got down and she was safe. And when she turned around to thank them, they were instantly, they're just gone. Leaving her to wonder, were they angels? Was this a natural or a supernatural rescue? And that's a little bit of what's at stake in the story of David and Goliath, a familiar story. Is this spiritual, it's a story of spiritual power versus earthly power. So let me ask you this question. How do you respond when you face a challenge that's bigger than you? Maybe not even a bad challenge. Maybe it's an exciting opportunity at work or somewhere else, but it just seems bigger than you. Or maybe it really is a health or financial or relationship or career issue that you're struggling with. Or maybe it's something you know God wants you to do, but it seems uncomfortable. Or maybe it's just kind of the everyday trials of life, raising kids and job or whatever it is, right? Do you confront that challenge with, how do you, with the weapons of this world, anger or prestige or accolades or money, just working yourself to death? Do you, just, do you confront those challenges with the weapons of this world or do you rely on the spiritual power that comes from Jesus? Things like prayer and love, and healing, and reconciliation. That's what's at stake. That's what's going on in the story of David and Goliath. Last week I told you there are no major show-stopping miracles in in David's story. No parting of the Red Sea, healings, nothing like that. But that does not mean that God's spiritual power isn't at work in dramatic ways in David's everyday life, just like God is at work in ours. And you all know this story from Sunday school, right? Goliath is nine feet tall. He taunts the Israelites for 40 days. And he says, send someone to fight me. And if we win, you'll be our slaves. And if if you win, we'll be your slaves. And then it says that when King Saul and the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Just what you want from your king, right? Sort of Monty Python, run away, run away. And they literally go cower in their tents. 
But then David says, as we, David, who's been anointed king already, we saw that last week, but he's not yet king, still a teenager, he comes forward and he kills Goliath with just a sling and a stone. And you know what, we usually think of this as a big bully versus underdog kind of story. But really what it's about is a story about what do we rely on when the challenges in life seem bigger than we are. Do we turn to the false gods of this world, money, accolades, power, prestige, clawing our way to the top? Or do we use the spiritual resources available to us through Jesus, which are stronger in the end? May not mean we get everything we want, but it means God's purposes can't be stopped. Now, the background of this story is basically what's going on here is Goliath is challenging the Israelites to what was known as single combat. And the idea was the gods determined the outcome of battles. And you could figure out which side the gods were on by just having two people fight it out. And that way you'd know which side the gods were on. In other words, this is a spiritual battle. That's why David says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, that is the weapons of this world, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. In other words, spiritual resources. But then he goes on and David says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Whoa, what has gotten into the nice little shepherd boy from Bethlehem? Right, he just opened up a big old can of whoop your backside something fierce. As one of our interns, Josh Gritter, pointed out to me this week, nobody sent the memo to David that he was an underdog. David looks at Goliath and he does not see himself as an underdog because he knows that he has spiritual power, wonder-working power behind him. And that in his words, quote, it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. The battle is the Lord's. In other words, it is not the weapons of this world. It is the spiritual weapons that God gives us. That's how he beats Goliath with just a rock. And this text points to a few of the spiritual resources that are available to us through Jesus that can help us face our challenges no matter how big they are. And the first resource we have is this, the Holy Spirit. Start with what is sort of more obvious, the Holy Spirit. Throughout Scripture, whenever the Spirit of God comes on someone, they are brave. Gideon, David, the apostles. And if you know Jesus, whether you actually are in touch with this or not, his Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And what we, what we need to do, particularly we Presbyterians, is just keep asking for a deeper and deeper experience of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit makes us brave. One of the odd things about our culture is that in many ways we have never been safer. Medical advances help us live longer. Economically, we have a safety net that hasn't existed before in history. Crime is down. So how come we're so afraid? Clearly, getting our circumstances just right does not make us brave. The Holy Spirit makes us brave. Second spiritual resource that we have is that my dad can beat up your dad, a.k.a. God's spiritual weapons of love, reconciliation, restoration are stronger than the weapons of this world, which means we do not have to be paralyzed by our fears. One of the villains, in my opinion, in American history is George McClellan. He was the first general of the North in the Civil War, had a giant army, refused to attack the Confederates. He blamed every loss on his men or on Lincoln, talked openly about replacing Lincoln with himself as dictator. Great guy, right? 
And every time he refused to fight, it was quickly discovered that he vastly outnumbered the Confederate sources by, a, by huge margins. And if he had only attacked, the Civil War would have been over in six months, saving hundreds of thousands of lives. But the reason he never attacked was he was convinced that the Confederate army was bigger than his army, even though he was wrong over and over again. We do that, don't we? constantly overestimate the strength of the challenge that we face and underestimate God's power. And then we get paralyzed by it. You know, the Israelites cower because they see Goliath arrayed in all the power of this world. Text says he wore a coat of armor weighing 5,000 shekels. That's a lot of shekels. That's 125 pounds. His spear was iron, weighed 600 shekels. That's 15 pounds. Plus it was iron. Israelites are still in the Bronze Age. They don't know how to make iron yet. So, in other words, Goliath is high-tech. But his courage is a counterfeit courage. It relies on self, on power, intimidation, money, prestige, position, puffing ourselves up with the weapons of this world. But you know what? That dog won't hunt. Because deep down, we, start a one, we just got to wonder, am I as good as my Facebook page says that I am? Am I believing my PR? Plus, when we use the weapons of this world, we trash relationships trying to get our way. Not to mention the fact that if we rely on ourselves instead of God, we quickly discover our own inadequacies, don't we? This summer, as some of you know, my good friend, Mike Howerton, who's senior pastor at Redmond Church in Overlake, he and I did a pulpit switch this summer. He preached here, and I preached over there at his church. And when I was preaching at their 11 o'clock service, man, I was bringing it. I mean, they were laughing, they were crying. I was fantastic, better than I've ever been here. Right? And at one point, in order to make a point, I did this big dramatic gesture with my hands and knocked the podium off into the congregation. Notes went flying everywhere. They had to, all these people had to scramble to give me my notes back. When I got him back, I spent the rest of the sermon trying to get the pages in order while still looking at the congregation. Okay, now I preached... Three different services that day. Guess which video they put on their website. <laughs> so my excuse is that the spirit was moving so powerfully, my pulpit was slain in the spirit. And I'm sticking with that story. And no, I am not going to tell you the date of that because I don't want you to look it up on their webpage. <laughs> if we rely on ourselves, we quickly discover that we are not all that. But God is. And his spiritual weapons are not the weapons of this world. Prayer, love, healing, restoration, reconciliation, these kinds of things. And yes, David here does have to do physical combat, but even still he is fueled by God's love for his people. And for us, most of the time, God calls us to fight our challenges with the spiritual resources that he gives us, which are stronger than the weapons of this world. And I'll tell you some stories about that in a minute. See, the problem is, if we just look at the challenge, the problem we face, it will paralyze us like it did Saul or George McClellan. So often, that challenge defeats us without ever firing a single shot. All the challenge, its power is in its ability to intimidate us and paralyze us with fear and with worry. So don't be George McClellan. Know that God's spiritual weapons are stronger. Which brings me to the third spiritual resource we have in Jesus, and that is hope and confidence. As I said earlier, David's fight here represents single combat. If he wins, his victory will be imputed to every person in Israel and they'll all go free. You can probably figure out where I'm going with this. There's another man who, like David, was born in Bethlehem and he fought a fight and his victory is imputed to us. 
And if Easter means anything, it means that on the cross, Jesus absorbed the worst this world can throw at us. Death, suffering, pain, humiliation. But he used those things for good to purchase our forgiveness and conquered those things by rising from the grave. And what that means is if we die, even if we die, we're going to live again. What do we have to fear? See, the battle is won. The war isn't over yet, but the battle is won. It's like, it's like Battle of the Bulge during World War II. Once the Allies won that, the war wasn't over, but the Nazis were defeated. The rest was just a march to Berlin. What that means is that we can have confidence and hope. You know, on paper, on paper, King Saul should be way better equipped to, to defeat Goliath than David was, right? Experienced warrior. But here's an example of how the weapons of this world are actually not as strong as God's spiritual resources because Saul lacks the spiritual resource that David has, which is confidence and hope in the power of God. Now again, that doesn't mean we're going to get everything we want or that life will always be easy. In fact, because of David's victory over Goliath, as we'll see next week, the next 20 years of his life are going to be miserable because of this. God's power doesn't always mean we get what we want, but it does mean God's good purposes cannot be stopped. Now, I said God's purposes can't be stopped. Yours, they can be stopped, but God's purposes cannot be stopped. See, the issue here is Goliath is coming up against God's purposes to give this land to the Israelites. David is not fighting for his purposes, but for God's. Now, I know that raises the question, well, how do I know what God's purposes are? And That's a whole other sermon. But briefly, it takes discernment. Prayer, knowing what, knowing what scripture says, getting wise counsel from others. And even if you're not sure of what God's purposes are, here's a good place to start. Just do what he says to do in the Bible. Start there and know that God can bring good things out of the worst of circumstances. Even if you don't know his purposes, you not knowing his purposes, that, even that doesn't stop his purposes. They can't be stopped. Our spiritual resources are the Holy Spirit, the bigness of God, confidence and hope. Next, letting God work through who you are, not someone else. A part of this story that we didn't read, King Saul gives David his armor to equip David, but it's too big because it's Saul's armor. And David says, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. See, Saul wanted to arm David with the weapons of this world because he didn't think that David was impressive enough. In fact, nobody thinks that David is impressive. The story starts with David taking some food to his older brothers who are in the army. And when David asks, you know, why are you guys so afraid of Goliath? His older brother says, why aren't you with those sheep? What did you do with the sheep? And I know how wicked your heart is. You just want to watch the battle. And I love David's response. He says, now what have I done? Can't I even speak? Okay, does that sound like a younger brother or what? <laughs> the details of this thing are so realistic, it has to be an eyewitness account. But all those attempts to prop David up with the weapons of this world, they just get in the way. He's a shepherd. He needs to work the way God designed him to work, with the tools and gifts and skills that God gave him. Not Saul, which for him is a sling and a stone. That's how he's going to beat Goliath. See, like Saul, I think we often feel the need to prop ourselves up when we face a challenge. Maybe, for instance, we're caught in a power struggle at work, so we start politicking behind the scenes to get folks on our side as we jockey for power and position. Or maybe in some other situation, we try to bully people. Or just in general, we try to amass all the, all the weapons of this world that we can. Prestigious job, money, accolades, make people, you know, impress people. Or we look at others and we think, well, yeah, if only I was more like that person, then I could, you know, I do this a lot. 
If only I were more talented like that person, or if only I were better looking, or, or I used to think if only I were older, then people would listen to me. And now I think if only I were younger, then people would listen to me. This week, I, I got my hair cut, what's left of it anyway, and the person cutting my hair said, wow, you are really going bald. Like, Hello. Right? I said, yeah, yeah, I know that. And then just a few minutes later, she said, no, I mean it. It's really bad. You are really going bald. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get it, right? And then she started poking my head. She said, you need Rogaine. Yes, I am follically suboptimal. I get it. Just cut the four hairs that are left, all right? Be quiet. Who told you? Man, I left there wanting some kind of Saul's armor, you know, a hat or a hair transplant. Where do you get Rogaine anyway? If only I had, or if only I were more like so-and-so. Here's the thing. Come judgment day, God is not going to ask you why you weren't more like so-and-so. He's going to ask you why you weren't more like you. If you are the you he created you to be, nobody can beat that because here's the thing. Nobody is as good at being you as you. And God can work through you when you are the you that he created you to be and you do that voodoo that you do so well. So let God work through the gifts and the skills and the history and even the hurts and the wounds. He can use that instead of trying to be like someone else. Okay, let me land the plane. Our resources are the Holy Spirit, the bigness of God's spiritual weapons, confidence and hope, letting God work through who we are. And here's what all that means. We can run to the battle, not avoid it. Text says that David takes five smooth stones and then he ran quickly toward the battle line. He doesn't procrastinate or pretend it's not there, which I sometimes do. Maybe Goliath will go away if I just ignore it. He runs to the battle. And notice he takes five stones. He only needs one. But he takes five because he's ready. He's prepared to keep at this and keep at this because some things don't get fixed right away. They take months, years, decades. A woman from our church, who I'll call Cheryl, told me about how growing up her sister had this terrible temper. And then later on, her sister as an adult ended up using drugs, spent some time in jail, and continued to have just wicked, scary temper tantrums. Well, this sister ended up being estranged from their brother. And for decades, decades, Cheryl would reach out to her sister whenever God nudged her, but the sister just blew her off, usually in hurtful ways. Well, when their brother was diagnosed with cancer, God nudged Cheryl to do something to help them reconcile. So Cheryl bought a plane ticket for her sister. But then just a few days before her sister was supposed to come, Cheryl started to get really fearful, wondering what it would be like to have this sister who's bigger and stronger and prone toward physical anger come to her house. So Cheryl prayed and asked God to take it away, but the fear did not go away. Instead, God gave her a sense that he was with her and a, a conviction that she was doing the right thing. But Cheryl said that as soon as her sister walked off the plane, the fear just vanished and they hugged and the sister said, you know, this is so healing for me. The result was the brother and the sister were reconciled. It also opened up new channels of communication between Cheryl and her sister as well, a lot of healing. Cheryl said, had I stayed in my human feelings of fear of my sister, all that followed would never have happened. She said, for years, I would just wait for God to nudge me before I reached out to my sister, then I would, then I'd retreat back again while I kept myself safe from her. I let my fear determine the relationship instead of my faith. And my fear crippled me until I surrendered it to Jesus. Now I'm no longer afraid of her, no matter what emotions she expresses, and I can walk in faith instead of fear as a fearless and supportive sister. 
Cheryl didn't use the weapons of this world, which would lead her to either fight or flight, right? Argue with or ignore her sister. Instead, Cheryl used God's stronger spiritual resources of love and reconciliation and prayer and healing. Let the Holy Spirit use her for who she was in hope and confidence that God was bigger than her challenge. So what is that challenge that you face? This week, ask God to show you how he would want you to meet that challenge, not with the weapons of this world, but with his spiritual resources. I'll close with this. A couple years ago, I was in Rwanda with a team from our church, and one of the things we did was visit a prison to help lead a worship service there. And this prison had thousands and thousands of prisoners crammed into it, but it was really small, wasn't built for that many, so they were super, just super crowded conditions. And the worship service, all these prisoners were crowded in this tiny court, courtyard, just packed together. And one of the speakers at this worship service had said something that really made these prisoners angry. And then it started to rain, and that created a lot of pushing and shoving as the prisoners tried to get under the little bit of covering that there was, and it felt like they were about to riot. We were up on this platform helping to lead the service. Behind us was this brick wall with nothing but barbed wire on it. I mean, if, they, if those prisoners got out of control, we were toast. Now, I have been in all kinds of places all around the world, prisons, hospitals, the poorest villages you can imagine. And I don't remember ever feeling uncomfortable except for this one time in Rwanda. It just felt like something evil was in the air. Well, after the talk, one of our team members, Chelsea Leatherberry, our mission pastor, Rich, his daughter, she was supposed to sing. And at the time, she was still in high school, very young. And in the middle of this ugly mood, Chelsea just marched up to the microphone, seemingly unafraid, and with no music, a cappella began to sing Be Thou My Vision. And at first you couldn't hear her because the prisoners were making so much noise, but slowly they started to quiet down, and pretty soon you could have heard a pin drop, and when she was done, what it felt like there was some kind of demonic force in the air, instead it just felt holy, and you could feel the presence of Jesus. And then Chelsea just turned around, marched back to her seat with this confident look on her face and sat down. And I'm sure she didn't think this, but I imagine her thinking, see, fellas, that's how it's done. <laughs> Against the weapons of this world, anger, jockeying for power and position, she relied on the spiritual resources available to her. Prayer, love, healing, reconciliation in a way that was unique to her. Man, if I'd have sung an a cappella song, it would have caused a riot, not stopped one. But through her simple song from a heart devoted to Jesus, she calmed the prisoner's rage. So what challenge do you face? Don't let it intimidate you. It's all hat and no cattle. Our God is bigger. And his weapons of love, reconciliation, healing, hope, they're stronger. And yes, we are going to face trials and we're going to have troubles. That is just the devil trying to derail you because he knows that you are on the cusp of the kingdom, on the brink of a breakthrough. And what is that financial problem, that relationship issue, that stubborn addiction, or even just that awesome but intimidating opportunity? What is that flat-footed, uncircumcised, low-down, no-good, dirty, rotten, Philistine of a problem that it should defy the armies of the living God? It will not win. It cannot win. It does not have an ice cube's chance in hell, literally, of winning because he has won the battle and he will win the war, not with the weapons of this world, not with power and intimidation and peer pressure, and cultural expectations. No, you can come against that challenge in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of hosts, and he will strike it down and he will cut off its head and the whole world is gonna know that there is a God who lives in you. Amen? Amen. Amen.
So Jesus, thank you for that power that we have in you and in the challenges we face, Lord, show us the spiritual resources you want us to use to strike that Goliath down and we're going to point to you as the one who made it happen. In your name, Lord. Amen.